Good morning. My name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastor elders here. If you are joining us online, so glad you could be here with us uh, today. We are going to continue in our uh, series in the book of Luke called A World Turned Upside Down. And uh, in just a second, I'm going to invite somebody up to share with us. We're going to be sharing about uh, the uh, cost of following Jesus uh, in today's text. And, and I believe if Jesus were teaching today to our audiences, uh, then he may use a different illustration, and that would be the illustration of the cost of a college education. I think that would be something that today's hearers could wrap their heads around. And so Don is going to come up and share uh, on behalf of, of our congregation, but also of the prime timers, a specific group here. Uh, and uh, uh, I love the way that this congregation invests in students, both spiritually and practically. And Don's going to share a little bit more about that. Thanks for coming. Thank you, share, Aaron. Don. Well, some of you may or may not know what prime timers are. It started, I don't know, long before we came here. We've been here 17 years now. And it was started under a different name and it changed to prime timers about 17, 16 years ago. What it is is a senior group of the church. We used to go to lunches. We had potlucks. COVID-19 stopped the lunches, <laughs> as most of you know. But uh, anyway, we started a scholarship about 16 years ago with funds that were being raised through the prime timers and that still goes on today every year we try to get applications from the graduating seniors and we would like to give them a $500 scholarship to the college of their preference this year we have these particular five recipients, not all of them are freshmen, some of them are. Gracie Frudenthal, she's a freshman at Southern Oregon University. Her major will be health education and exercise science. Skylar Loomis, who was up here just a few minutes ago, freshman at Southern Oregon University in business. And Brooklyn Cahoon, sophomore at Bushnell University with psychology with a minor in worship ministry and criminal justice. Ashley Hager, sophomore at Grand Canyon University, exercise science and nutrition. And Hannah Frudenthal, a junior at Oregon State University, a business management. Now, this is five recipients this year, <clears throat> total of $2,500. Over the years we've been doing this, we don't have an exact account, but we know that the prime timers have paid out well over $22,000 for college education. I have a quick thank you note from one of them it says dear prime timers thank you so much for the $500 scholarship I really appreciate it I am leaving soon for my second year at Grand Canyon University in Phoenix I love college so much and I'm looking forward to going back 
Thanks again for your generosity. Sincerely, Ashley. So it does help. As most of you know, $500 <clears throat> is not much for a college education today when many of them are running into the thirty dollars and $40,000. If anybody can contribute to this fund that wishes, all you have to do is put it in one of the envelopes at the door put on it prime timers. That's all you need to do. It will go to our fund. We will continue this as long as we have money to do so. I thought this year we might run out. Fortunately, we didn't, and we can still go further next year. So if you desire to help us, feel free to do so, and thank you very much. sharing and for all of you who give uh, so much of yourselves to that uh, scholarship and uh, we personally appreciate it. So thank you. You know, I was at Target yesterday moving Brooklyn into her new apartment and uh, going to get just some basics like paper towels and plates and tissues and uh, I was counting the cost. Uh, as I as I was in line at, at Target, and so everything helps. I, it's interesting to note that uh, average bachelor's degree today costs one hundred and seventy nine thousand dollars, and uh, takes it's no longer called a four year degree, and that's because on average it takes five point one years to attain a bachelor's degree, and so uh, that's a a big investment of of people counting the cost of others coming in support of that, and so I, I thank you for that. And, and, uh, and I do think it greatly applies to what we're reading today. I want to jump right into Luke chapter 14, and uh, we're going to pick it up in verse 25, uh, where it says this, Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them. Okay, so I want us to get this scene. He had been in somebody's home teaching earlier in the chapter, but now he's out, and there's this great crowd, and he is speaking to them specifically. And uh, he says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, and yes, even his own, his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it will begin to mock him saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish, or what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate, whether he is able with 10,000 to meet uh, him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. 
Okay, I think we're going on like eight weeks of Jesus just unrelentingly coming at us of what he thinks and expects, and yet with this thought that he is also going to empower us and allow us as we've given our lives over to him to accomplish these things that he has asked, and it is a tall task and a big ask. And so here he starts with a number of things. You need to hate your father and your mother. Now, now, I don't think we're really having a lot of trouble with this. We understand that this isn't Jesus telling us to hate in actuality our father and our mother. Jesus, in Matthew chapter 15, uh, when referring to what was taught before, said this, For uh, God commanded, honor your father and mother. And whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. And so this phrase of hating your mother and father is not a direct one. It is one of comparative. Uh, it's a comparative teaching in contrast um, of, of what we understand to be love. That the love of our family, those that are closest to us, when put in comparison to our love for Jesus, for the Father, for the Spirit, must pale in comparison to that love. Have you ever been digging in your yard and you come across a rock and as you continue to unearth it, that rock gets bigger and bigger and bigger, but you know you have to remove it, right? Yeah, and, and I, we have a rock in our yard, actually, and it is fluted. There's a picture of it, and, and it, you can't totally see it well up on the screen. We need a new bulb, evidently. Turn around. Look, it's really nice on the TV up there. Uh, <laughs> but uh, anyway, it's about this big, it's about, you know, eight inches thick, and that thing weighs a ton. And my son and I had to loft that up onto its perch in order to run uh, a fountain through it. And, and when we tore it apart, you know, I was like, I think I got that, because we had to tear this whole thing apart and do something else. I'm surrounded by pine trees, so there's pine needles all over the place in my fountain. And so I'm like, I got this, and I get down, and I'm like, and I can lift some stuff, you know. Uh, and, and so I'm like, oh, and then I'm like, nope, we're rolling that thing. And so I just roll it out. It is a massive rock, and, and again, it's smaller than this table is, although about eight, nine inches thick. And it is a massive rock for me to deal with alone. And then I think of, of heading out to the North Jetty, and so you're going to get a couple of pictures here. You know the rock, right? Rock of the North Jetty, I just so happens to have my kid in it, that's Ben and a friend of his, and just for good measure, because I had a couple of pictures of Ben, we'll go to the next one, this is another one, that's uh, Brooklyn falling on one of the rocks, also at the North Jetty at one of our uh, student ministries bonfires, and I think, now that's a rock, right? I'm not moving that, even with Ben's help. The machinery that it must have taken to move those stones into place to create the jetty, and, and that's, that's a big rock. Then I think about, well, not really that big of a rock. There's another rock in Colorado, and I don't know if you can totally see it, but Ben is in the middle of it. He's about 10% of the picture, and on uh, the left there, the lower left, um, that is the rest of, of our family. And this is a rock that I grew up climbing from uh, the time that I was allowed uh, to leave my mom's side. And, and I could only climb up the base part of it until as I got older, climbing up. And, and my family would head down to this spot to fish. And, and now that's a rock. No piece of machinery out there is going to move this rock, at least not in one piece. That is a stone. That is a rock. Uh, until that is... You drive the highway down into Yosemite, 
and you see El Capitan, right? That is a rock. That's not a rock. This is a rock. One more, just, uh, yeah. I mean, I just awe-inspiring, breathtaking the first time I drove into Yosemite and came around that corner. And I've seen picture after picture after picture uh, of this thing. And then when you see it in person, it is just shocking to your system. And I I think about this, and this is what Jesus is trying to get at, the love that we have for our family and friends. While it should be big, and it should be heavy, and it should be significant in our lives in comparison to our love and commitment to Jesus, should seem like a pebble. Now, this doesn't mean that our love for our family diminishes Our love for our family continues to grow, and as my kids get older, I'm amazed at the amount of love that I have for them, uh, and that it continues to grow and to grow, and as I understand God more, my love for my family grows even more, but in comparison to my love of Jesus, it pales. And so Jesus is speaking about this, that this should, should outweigh any other love. And the truth is, when some of us compare this love that we have for family and then the love that we have for God, they're kind of similar size rocks. For some of us, our, our, our love for our family, for our children, is actually uh, idol worship a bit. You know, because our love for them is larger than our love for God. That's a, that's a sermon for another day. But God is saying here, you know, you, as you grow in your love and your understanding, as you spend time in my word, then your love for me should grow and in comparison to all else should be larger and not not even close between the two. The second thing he says, bear your cross. If you're not willing to bear your cross daily to come after me, and we dug into uh, this teaching a few weeks ago, and so we're going to just touch on it here. Uh, But he's a reminder that this is your cross, you know, that that you have a specific cross that you need to bear. It's, It's not the same as others. Each of us will have to make different sacrifices in our own lives. And when we look around, sometimes the sacrifice that you see others are needing to make seems small in comparison to the ones that we make, right? I mean, your stuff is always closer. The stuff that's closer seems bigger. And yet, our cross, the things that we need to bear, the sacrifices we're asked to make will be unique. Our crosses might include physical ailments or disease. They could include abuse that was suffered innocently at the hands of another. They could be consequences of our own previous actions and decisions. It could be mental health issues, difficult family members, special needs children, or just children, period. They could have uh, things that we have learning disabilities or sexual attractions, self-confidence issues. And this can really be that we have too little self-confidence. But for some, it's real. You, know, you got too much self-confidence. And you have to keep that in check. It could be depression or anxiety. And the odds are it's actually some conglomeration of this list and more. And this is something that you can know about your cross. The thing that you uniquely are are asked to bear is that you are not alone in it. There are others who are also bearing a similar cross, and yet yours is going to be unique to you. 
It's going to be something that you are called to bear. There are many, some who I love dearly, who are being asked to bear crosses that are hugely difficult to carry. And so much of me desires to carry it for them, although I'm not even sure that I would be able to. But even if I was able, I can't because it's theirs to bear, not mine. I think of this command uh, to encourage and to build one another up, to bear one another's burdens. Two people walking side by side, bearing seemingly unbearable loads and yet encouraging each other along the way. And when our focus can be on others and helping them bear their load, then all of a sudden we're not paying as much attention to our own. This thought of bearing one another's burdens is more than just simple things of of coming alongside and and saying an encouraging word. There's a spiritual aspect, which we're going to come back to in a little bit. It makes me think of what we talked about last week. You know, come with me. We'll go together. Let's go together. You with your unique cross, with me, with my unique, every day picking that up in an effort to follow the one that called us out. The third, he says, is count the cost. Consider this carefully. Becoming a Christian is most assuredly not going to make your life easier. It will make it better. It will make it more meaningful. You'll have support in it. You'll have empower to live it out. But it's not going to be easy. In fact, it will be more difficult because the ruler of this world will be coming after you. And as you're making headway towards Jesus, he'll do everything that he can to swipe your feet out from under you. And Jesus says, count the cost. Consider it. Evaluate it. But then follow me. And lastly, he says, renounce all you have. You have to be willing to renounce all in order to follow me in this. Because if you don't renounce all, you can't follow him. You can't follow him into what he is leading you to if you have to stay back and guard what you're so dearly holding onto in the place that you're currently at. I read this week in the Washington Post a report of a man from Afghanistan named Ashani, and this is what he said. I know firsthand how difficult it is to be Christians in that country, Ashani told the religious news service on Monday. I lived through the horror, the terror of these Taliban. Ashani made it to Rome in 2003 after a five-year journey that he detailed in two books, Tonight We Watch the Stars and the Kids Have Big Dreams. Ashani came into contact with the Christian family in Afghanistan through an Afghan who was also studying in Rome. Afghan citizens are not legally allowed to convert to Christianity since they were not able to attend mass in Afghanistan. Ashani began to live stream the services in Rome for them to watch from Kabul. Their neighbors discovered them one day and they ratted them out two weeks ago. As a result, the father of the family was arrested six days ago in Ashani said while the rest of the family was forced to flee, they still don't know where he is. The family told Ashani that the Taliban are going door to door asking whether any Christians live there or in that community. If they were ever to capture me or other members of my family, I would rather die, wrote the family. We hid with hope of being found as late as possible, but we don't know for how long 
we will be able to protect ourselves in this way. I read stories like this, and they're hard for me to read because at first I feel guilty. Like I don't have the foggiest idea of the weight that other Christians in different parts of the world have to carry, the cost that they realize on a daily basis, the reality of being willing to walk away from their life in order to continue to follow Jesus. And I have this guilt in me, and I have to remember that that's not my cross to bear today. You know, none of us are are guaranteed the freedoms that we have for another week or month or year. We truly are not. And this could be the case in our lifetimes. And I just really hope that we don't ever confuse our rights as Americans with our rights as Christians. Because we do have rights as Americans, but none of them really apply to our faith. Look at Christians all around the world and what we're facing today. Let's not confuse the two. They're not the same. And yet today, that's not our cross to bear, although who knows who's watching online or where you're at or what you are having to deal with today. We just don't know. But I think of that command to bear one another's burden. This isn't simply about helping a brother or sister move or giving them a few bucks when they need it, although that is a part of it. But isn't it a spiritual thing to bear one another's burdens? Don't we serve a God who can can help us bear the burdens of our brothers and sisters from around the planet? If that's you're bold enough to pray for that, to ask for that, maybe tomorrow or next week is a difficult week. Maybe it's hard-pressed with relationships or, or at work, or maybe you just have a heaviness about you. Is our God not able to transfer some of the burden from Afghanistan onto our shoulders? Yeah. And if your God is not able to do that, I invite you to follow mine. In fact, we're going to take some time right now. And I'd love for somebody, I haven't picked anybody out. Will somebody pray for, for our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan who are bearing this burden. And, and if you are bold enough to ask to bear some of this burden, just agree in prayer. Is there somebody that would be willing to stand up and pray for this? I know it's a big ask. Great. You agreed in prayer this week, be ready for it because it's coming. The attack is coming. God will honor that prayer and spread the load. And just remember to give thanks in it. To, to be able to have the privilege of, of bearing some of this, uh, again, for our brothers and sisters around the planet. In, in Luke 14, Jesus is talking to people about the cost of following him, saying either you're all the way in, which means you're going to be counter to this culture, or you're out because you're going to look too much like the culture. If you're going to build a building, won't you figure out how much it costs first? If you're going into battle, aren't you going to figure out if you can win that battle? And if not, uh, negotiate peace at all costs if you can. Because if you're saying you're in, but then live your lives blending in with the culture, Jesus says, I have no use of you. Take a look at what he says here in verses 34 and 35. Salt is good, but if salt loses its salt, uh, its taste... How shall its saltiness be restored? Remember, he's talking to this great crowd now. And he says, it is of no use either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown away. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. 
A number of years ago, uh, Trudy and I attended a, a National Youth Workers Convention where we gathered together with about 4,000 other youth leaders. Uh, we called this a clan meeting, and it was a, it's a unique place to be with 4,000 youth leaders and learning and worshiping together. And that, uh, that year, Francis Chan spoke one evening, and, uh, and I can't capture lightning in a bottle. I'm not going to try to tell you what Francis said, uh, because only Francis can do what Francis does. So we're going to take a listen to what he said to us that evening. Verse 34, at first I didn't get it. He goes, salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's of no use either for the soil or for the manure pile. It's thrown away. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So then he, I understood the tower thing, I understood the war thing, but then he goes, salt. He goes, salt is good, isn't it? Yeah. You know, he goes, okay, but what if salt loses its saltiness? What, what are you going to do with it? Okay, so flavorless salt? He goes, there's no use to flavorless salt, right? He goes, you can't throw it in the dirt. Because dirt's good. Things grow in it. He goes, you can't even, it's not even fit for the manure pile. He goes, because manure is good. It fertilizes. And you put that flavorless salt on it, it could ruin it. And, and, and so he explains this whole thing, and he goes, he who has ears, let him hear. His point, his point was, he says, look, look, you guys all look like salt. He goes, but what if salt doesn't have that taste to it? What if salt, what if you don't have the saltiness to really just go the whole way with me? If you don't have the soul, I will pick up my cross, I'll die for you. He's saying, you're worthless to me. He looks at this group of people and he goes, what am I going to do with a bunch of people that won't go to the cross with me? What am I going to do with a bunch of salt that doesn't have flavor? Do you understand what he's saying? He doesn't say that, oh, you know, hey, you know, you're in this process. No, he just goes, man, unless you're willing to go all the way with me, I'm not interested. You don't have the saltiness. He goes, I don't even know what to do with this whole crowd. He goes, you're like flavorless salt. It's like, you know, I mean, think about what he's saying about flavorless salt. He goes, there's nothing to do with flavorless salt. Like, like, like you're worse than the dirt. Because you're worse than crap. So he's going to survive a pile of crap here, and you're standing there. I'm like, get off! You're ruining my crap! That's what Jesus is saying to this crowd. He goes, what am I going to do with you? You guys would ruin crap! I'm going, man, Jesus! Take it easy! Right? No wonder everyone's leaving. So I'm reading this stuff, and I'm looking at Jesus, and I'm just going, man, doesn't make sense. Maybe I'm watering rocks. Maybe I'm with a bunch of flavorless salt. Verse 30. Nobody says it quite like Francis. There's some of you who are possibly deciding right now whether you're offended or not, while others of you know that you are. And to you, I want to say, good, you got the point of what Jesus was trying to say. You got it. 
You understood he was saying to these people, this is a heavy thing. This is a burdensome thing, and yet I will walk with you in it, and I will empower you in it. And so what does it look like when a group continues to have its saltiness? In 1 Peter chapter 3, it says, Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, it will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ as Lord, as holy, always being prepared to defend to anyone who asks you for a reason, for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gladness and with respect. Saying, don't worry about the opposition. Keep focused on Christ through it all, even as you continue to bear your cross, because are you going to be ridiculed? Maybe. Are you going to be discriminated against? Possibly. Might people talk about you behind your back? Probably. Will you look like an idiot at your school or at your work or in your neighborhood? Absolutely, because there's something different about you and the things of God are foolishness to men. So be ready to answer their questions. And let me stop here and say what he's not talking about. He's not saying that you need to know the finer points of justification and sanctification and uh, consecration and propitiation. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying that you have to have all the books of the Bible memorized or know the major themes or literary styles or be able to recall chapter and verse any issue that is facing mankind today, including why bad things happen to good people. What he is saying is that you need to know his story and you need to know your story. Jesus died for me. That's his story because I'm a sinner. That's my story. He wants to be in a relationship. That's his story. And there's nothing I could do to restore the relationship that was broken. That's my story. To know the difference that he has made in your life. Have you taken time to consider why your life is better because of your relationship with him? Why in the difficulties that you now face because you're a believer, you have more hope and more joy and more purpose? He continues, it says, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, because it's going to happen... Those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame, for it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. The message reads this way, to keep a clear conscience before God so that when people throw mud at you, none of it will stick. You see, in Matthew chapter 4, the cost of the discipleship of following Jesus, we see outlined, says, while walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately, they left their nets, and they followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother in the boat uh, with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them immediately. They left the boat and their father, and they followed him. Did you catch that? Immediately, they left their boat. They left their stuff. They weren't holding on to anything. They left their family Because their desire to follow the Savior was so much greater than even the care that they had for for those that were closest to them. This call was too good to pass up. 
John Mark Comer is a pastor up in Portland at Bridgetown Church, where he was until just recently, and still connected to that church and walking with them, with them in that ministry. And, uh, and we go up there when we're in Portland, we often attend Bridgetown, and he teaches a deeper meaning of what it is to be a fisher of men as a disciple. He says uh, that, that there are three schools for the Israelites, for the Jewish uh, people, and the one is called Beit Sefer, and this is called the house of the book. It's really an elementary school for boys and girls in which they spend time and they end up memorizing uh, pretty much the entirety uh, of the Torah, Genesis through Deuteronomy. They memorize it all in elementary school. And then coming out of that, often the young ladies would get married and enter into a family and have children of their own. Yeah, young, but uh, that's what would take place. The boys uh, becoming men would go to work, except for a few. And for a few, they would enter another school called Beit Tamud, which is the house of learning. And this would be uh, men only, and they would memorize uh, pretty much the entirety of what we know currently as the Old Testament, the first covenant. And then after that, there were even fewer who would maybe be asked to enter into the next level of education called Tamadim. And these would be the best of the best, the brightest that had come out from there. They would want to follow a rabbi in hopes of one day becoming like that rabbi. And they wanted to look like him and act like him and sound like him. And they would spend years following in his footsteps in hopes that one day maybe they too could be a rabbi. Now amongst the rabbi, there were the elite those uh, that would, would reach so many people and have a different sense about them. And of these, the few rabbi, again, so many in the first school, fewer in the second, even fewer in the third, even fewer that would become rabbis. And then amongst those rabbis, there were some who were called fishers of men. And the reason they were called that is because they would capture the mind and heart and imagination of people. I've always thought of this fishers of men of nets and just trying to catch them. But what he's saying is that I'm going to make you like the greatest teachers in our land and you will capture with the power inside of you the hearts and minds and imagination of people like nobody before you. I'm going to make you into great teachers, the greatest of leaders. You will capture the imagination and hearts of your hearers and of the nations. The rabbi who didn't consider you good enough to follow them after elementary school will look at your influence with shame and jealousy, and I am going to do this for you. What cost would be too great for these men to leave behind what they had in order to pursue this call. And he's asking the same of us. Are you willing to comparatively hate your mother and your father when in relation to your love for me? Will you bear your cross? Will you count and evaluate the cost? Will you renounce all that you have to follow me? Because if you do, I will elevate your life and I will give you purpose and I will give you meaning and I will empower you to capture the hearts and the minds of this world. 
If you're willing to put the temporal aside, I will use you to make an eternal impact. And these are heavy teachings. This is a big ask of Jesus. And yet look at what he's putting out there. I will never leave you or forsake you. I will walk with you in this and I will use you to reach the nations. This is what we're being invited in. This is what as a church we are hoping as we commit our lives to following him, to leaning on one another, to going through it together, not alone. And if you feel alone, you don't have to. You're a part of a group of, of broken people, yeah, but of people trying to follow Jesus. Join us in relationship. Risk for him. We'd love to talk to you about what that looks like. You can catch uh, Dan who, who made announcements or myself after service. We'd love to talk with you about what that looks like. Grad, reach out to us online. We'd love to get together. We'd love to talk uh, on Zoom or whatever to connect in that way. The worship team's gonna come up and, and we're gonna take some time to remember uh, why we're able to respond to this call that we are broken, that there are decisions that we've made that have separated us from Christ, and yet this moment of communion is a reminder of what he did on the cross, his body that was broken, his blood that was spilled for us in order to make us qualified to walk with him, not because of anything we've done, but because of everything that he's done. We're gonna worship together we're going to take these elements as we sing and just take some time to take in the music, to spend a few moments in prayer and conversation with God. And as you take these elements, remember this sacrifice that he made for you. Let me pray as we continue in this. God, you are so good and I thank you.